Father, we rejoice in such a love that holds us in the midst of the darkness and pain and sorrow and loss and fear, a love that will not let us go. We pray for the Gibson family, whatever they walk through this day. And we pray for our own families and our own lives as we face the storms, the challenges, the valleys, the loss. And how we thank you for this gospel, the gospel St. Patrick preached, the gospel St. Paul preached, the gospel that our Lord Jesus came and was and is. And so in this Lenten season, as we reflect again upon your grace and your judgment and our need, we lay hold of that old rugged cross and we we rejoice in the empty tomb and we rejoice in the hope, the blessed assurance that is ours now and forever. Amen. Well, we are standing on holy ground, right? That song, thank you, Heather. You're the first ones to hear that live. Wow. I mean, whenever God's people gather, we are on holy ground. Where two or three gather in my name, the Lord says that there he is in the midst of us. We're attentive to that sometimes, other times uh, perhaps not. Uh, but today I'm acutely aware of it because as we've been talking about grace and judgment for these last several weeks uh, in the season of Lent, today I want to talk about the final expression of grace and judgment what we refer to as heaven and hell. Uh, it, it is, I think, uh, the most sensitive of subjects when we speak of a final or eternal destiny for any of us or anyone on earth. Uh, and no doubt each of us have those that we hold dear and close to our hearts. We have a concern for their life for their actions, for their future and, and destiny. So not unaware of that. But sadly, the topic of heaven and hell, um, and I appreciate the way Heather spoke of the, about that, is sometimes cheesy, right? Sometimes there's a flippant way or a casual way that we think about heaven and hell as if they were of little consequence. This is of, of the most significant consequence. Um, you perhaps have heard an expression of this kind of flippant way to heaven and hell. The fact that there is only a stairway to heaven, but a highway to hell, tells you about the anticipated traffic of those two places. And we laugh, right? Or there are cartoonish depictions of heaven and hell. Heaven is the fluffy clouds with little chubby children with wings, maybe strumming a little harp of some sort. And there's the big towering gates. And there's a stern St. Peter at his desk looking down, trying to find your name. We've all seen that depiction, right, of heaven. 
and of hell with some cartoonish guy in a red suit with horns and a big tail and a pitchfork. Or we might tend to think in terms of GPS coordinates. Going to heaven or going to hell. We just program in the destination, right? Now, let me be clear. Does scripture teach and do I believe that there is a final destiny for all people? Yes. Do I believe, does scripture teach and do I believe that there is a final destiny of blessedness and a final destiny of woe? Yes. Do I believe and does scripture teach that there's a final judgment? Yes. Does scripture teach and do I believe that there is for some a final state of misery and suffering? Yes. But does scripture teach and do I believe that God is unjust or unfair or somehow wrong for all of this? Absolutely not. God is not unjust in his grace or in his judgment. But does scripture teach and do I believe that we can know who is in and who is out? Who is going to hell? Absolutely not. Scripture nowhere teaches that we are the final arbiters and final ones who know that answer. And so the challenge and the tension and the reality is that we're just not very good at sorting out and judging these kind of things. God is great in grace and judgment. We are not. We think we are. We think we know when we look at another person's life. We, we, we know where they're going. But we're not. We're not good at that. In fact, we're very terrible at judging those things. And so if you recall the parable of the weeds from, was that two Sundays ago, I think it was, where the farmer sows the good seed, it begins to sprout, but he has an enemy who then sows the weeds into the field. And the, and the, the servants come and say, well, let's, we're going to pull up all those weeds. We know who's the bad ones. And the master says, no, no, no. The farmer says, no. That'll be sorted out in the end because in pulling up the weeds, you might also pull up some of the wheat, which is saying, y'all don't know how to sort these things out, but, but I do. God knows how to sort those out. And so I think we do, we do well to heed that, that warning. And so I think a better way to come at the topic of heaven and hell, it's not about highways and stairways, ha, 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 or cartoonish depictions. I want to direct us to the language of scripture. And this is an unconventional scripture to think about heaven. Now, but let me invite you to turn to Ephesians 2, if you haven't already. Page 1816. We actually studied this uh, last year, sometime when we were going through our uh, Ephesians study. And so Ephesians chapter 2, beginning verse 11, Paul's writing to a primarily non-Jewish, what we would call Gentile church, about the gospel and some of the realities. So in verse 11, therefore remember 
that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so as we think about grace and judgment, as we think about it in its final sense of heaven and hell, let us think in terms of grace being near, being drawn near, brought near, judgment, those being far away. I think that's the best way to think about it in the context of lives that we're actively living. There's a thread and a theme that runs throughout the whole scripture from Genesis to Revelation, and we're not going to go from Genesis to Revelation as we did a few weeks ago, okay? <laughs> uh, let, let me read uh, Psalm 73, just a portion of Psalm 73. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. But as for me, it is good to be near God. Far away and near. And so in the garden, Adam and Eve begin near God. They're walking with him in the cool of the day. They're enjoying fellowship. And then they act. They decide. They, they rebel against God. And then God sends them far away. They live outside the garden. They live east of Eden. And so they once were near. Now they go far away. In the story of Israel, we know the Exodus story. Uh, God delivers Moses and the Israelites from Egypt because they have a land that has been on promise, right? Their father Abraham has been promised a land, and so they journey towards that land. They get into the land. To be in the land is to be near God, and the temple is built, and so to be in the land is to be blessed. It is is to experience God's grace. It is to be near God. And then through their disobedience and their idolatry and their injustice, God sends them far away in the exile. And to be separated from the land is to be under God's judgment, near and far away. The prophet Isaiah spoke, and this was picked up by Jesus in the Gospels in his own teaching, this people draws near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And so Jesus applied that to the Pharisees. They thought they were near, but indeed they were far away.
Uh, the parables we looked at a, a couple of weeks ago, there's this sifting and this sorting and this separating into those who are near, those who are far. Be it the wheat and the tares, be it uh, the, the, the good fish and the bad fish, be it the sheep and the goats. There's this theme of separation. Those who are near and those who are far away. And so we tend to think and speak and act as if heaven and hell are out there in the distant future. And we think of heaven and hell as a kind of a place we go, irrespective of what might be happening this day in this moment. It's, it's kind of a, it's a big trip that we take at the end of our lives. I don't think that's the best way to think of, of heaven and hell. I think the better way is to think in the present tense. Are we turning towards and are we drawing near to God? Are we, are we looking to God? Are we, are we seeking to be in relationship with God? Or are we turning away from God? And are we then moving away, far away? How we live our lives, either turning towards or turning away from God. You see, it's more than just a transaction. Salvation is not a transaction, as it were. It's not something we have to say or do and just kind of secure our ticket to heaven and then we just get to live as we want because, hey, I got my ticket. That's not the best way to think about it. It is the way many of us do think about it, but it's not the best way. And I've said this before. I think the scripture is less concerned about getting you into heaven. It's more about getting heaven into you. It's a different way to think about it. Scripture is less concerned. It appears that Jesus is less concerned about getting you into heaven. Hey, just do this thing and you get to go to heaven and live as you want. It's about getting heaven into you. Getting into you a heart and a mind and a, a spirit and a sense of turning towards God. I want to live my life turning towards God, drawing near to God, moving towards Him. And to keep us and to warn us about turning away from God and the consequences of a life that is lived that constantly turns away from God, that life will not end well. Um, I think, I don't know if Eric's somewhere, there should be a quote that we're going to pop up here. We're going to see if this is going to happen or not. There we go. This is a C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity. It's, it's a longish quote, so I want to put it up so you can read it. This is Lewis. Every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. 
To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. I think Lewis is on to something here. That it's less about out there, it's about the present moment. Sunday morning at 9.45, what's happening in my life and how I'm living my life. The choices I make, with every choice, turning myself into a heavenly creature, turning towards God, drawing near God. What does that mean, Don? <laughs> to be a person who listens to the voice of God, who, who wakes up and is glad for life and gives thanks to the one who gives life, that is turning towards God. Being one who, who tries at some level to understand the words that God has entrusted to us. That is to turn towards God, to, to listen for the voice, to listen to the voice. It is what we're doing here today to gather and worship, to come to church. But it's not coming to church, it's coming to God. It's turning towards God. This is what we're doing today. And, and we're, we're bringing our needs, our concerns, our prayers. Uh, to turn towards God is to see the need of the neighbor, the one who was made in the image of God, and to see that need and to move towards that need and to meet that need. That is to turn yourself into a heavenly creature. Intentional acts of service and witness and sacrifice. These are the ways we turn towards God. At the end of the day, before our head hits the pillow, to say, thank you, God, for this day. I have not lived it all well. I've not done all right. I'm sorry for the things I've said or done or haven't said or haven't done. But God, thank you. This is to turn towards God. And so in the Lenten season, that's all we're trying to do is to bring all of this to an awareness Lent is that season. Hey, pay attention. Remember, turn towards God. Turn away from yourself. Turn towards God. Turn away from yourself. I want to be very clear. I do not believe Lewis is advocating, and we certainly do not preach here, a works righteousness, right? The heavenly life, the way to a relationship with God is only through Jesus Christ. As we embrace him, as we trust him, as we listen to him, as we turn towards him, we find ourselves in relationship. I'm going to offer two pastoral considerations as we, as we wrap up. I think we do well to pay less attention to judging and assessing the lives of other people. Because the heaven and hell topics comes up in my experience over the many years of being a Christian and a pastor, discussions of heaven and hell come up in the context of other people's lives. Do you think they're going to heaven? I think they're going to hell. Or we sometimes tell people, go to. We do well to pay less attention to judging and assessing the lives of others and whether they are in or out, whether they're going to heaven and hell. And we do well to pay attention to our own lives. Am I turning towards God? 
Am I drawing near to God? Am I embracing and trusting and, and, and pursuing Jesus, the Son of God? God is really good at sorting out wheat from weeds. He's really good about sorting out sheep and goats. So let's let him do that. And let us do, as a, a good friend of mine has said, let's win ourselves to Christ. Let's win ourselves to Christ. Because what this world needs from Christians is not our wagging fingers about their going to hell. What this world needs is Christians who are turning towards God all their lives. Because if we're turning towards God and drawing near to God, then when we come encounter with the world and the brokenness and the different ideas and the different people, we will respond to them in a heavenly way. Not in a scoldy, judgy way. And this is what the world needs. And so the first pastoral consideration is Let's give attention to our own lives. And I commend you, you are turning towards God today and being here. The second pastoral consideration is very tender and sensitive for we each have loved ones and friends that to our own understanding are far away. We have family members, many of us, who we believe and understand to be far away, who we are concerned they may not know Jesus and may have turned away from Jesus let me assure you that God knows where those people are. God knows where they are. God knows each of them. They're made in the image of God. God cares for them. God is always at work in the world beyond what we can know and see. And so the gospel is what Paul wrote about. <laughs> you once were far away, but now through Jesus Christ and his blood, you have been brought near. And so we celebrate a gospel of a God who came near. This is the Christmas story, right? The incarnation. God came near in the person of Jesus Christ. And so that gives us assurance that God is able to draw near to his people even when they may not want to draw near to him. And let us be assured that God will never turn away anyone who turns towards him. God will never turn away anyone who turns towards him. And so as we pray for loved ones, family members, and others, let us pray that they would turn towards God. That whatever situation they're in, they might hit a dead end and they might remember their prayers and they might remember their Sunday school lessons and they might remember our conversations with them. And they would turn towards God. God will never turn away from anyone who turns towards him. And so I remind you of the priestly blessing that God spoke through Aaron. This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Let that be our prayer for one another, but let that be our prayer 
for our loved ones who we think may be far away. Amen and amen. And so in the tenderness of our hearts, Lord, we lift before you loved ones, family, friends, others whom we have concerned that they have wandered away. Father, may your face be turned towards them and would you prompt them to turn towards you. Use our prayers, use our witness, use our love. Somehow, that they may turn and be saved. Hear us as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to-